Good evening, everyone. It's great to see you tonight. My name's David, if I haven't met you before. Has anyone here ever been bullied? What was it like? Humiliating? Intimidating? Uh, when I was in primary school, I was an easy target for bullies. Uh, my parents encouraged me to be in the school choir, which at my school meant you had to wear a white gown, which looked like a white dress. And uh, we had to process down the aisle as the whole school watched on, and we used to have to walk slowly like this. I mean, you had no, you had no chance, right? I was an easy target. And then I used to hang out, hang out with those guys at lunchtime, the nerdiest kids in the school, and we used to play Dungeons and Dragons at lunchtime, right? like the Big Bang Theory. On one occasion, I was kicking the football around at school and the captain of the school rugby team grabbed the ball off me. Now, this guy was a year older than me and he weighed twice as much. Uh, but I still tried to get the ball off him, uh, but I couldn't. And, I, and he, he got a bit annoyed with me and so he picked me up by the ankles and held me like this in front of the whole school. Now, he didn't think that through that too well, because you can imagine in this position, I could have whacked him quite easily where it hurt, but I was too nice. Now, a friend of mine tells me that when he was at school, there was a bully that would go up to kids at lunchtime and demand that they hand their lunches over to him. So you're just about to bite into that yummy chocolate brownie that mum had packed, and he would say, that's mine, give it to me. And then he'd take it and eat it in front of you. And there was nothing anyone could do because he was so much bigger than everyone else. And life was miserable for everyone in the class because of this one bully. Then one day, a new kid joined the class. And at lunchtime, the bully went up to this new kid and he said, give me your lunch. And the bully said, no. Well, everyone in the class is like, no one had ever said no to the bully before. The bully said, give me your lunch and tried to grab it. And the new kid said, no. And soon there was a fight and everyone's fight, 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 right? Uh, and at school, that's, that's like a magnet that just attracts kids from everywhere when they hear that cry fight. Doors open, kids jumped out, windows open, kids jumped out, toilet doors open, kids are running half-dressed trying to get to the fight. But the fight didn't last long because the new kid tackled the bully and held him down and the bully said, I give up. Now, from that day on, everyone's lunch was safe. Right? They didn't get pinched anymore, all because of this new kid. The old regime of bullying was now over. The new kid had brought in a new era. Now, that's what we just heard in our Bible reading. That's what we just heard that Jesus has done for you and for me but on a far 
greater scale, on a cosmic scale. Satan, sin and death bullied everyone and no one could stand up against them. But Jesus came and he put an end to the bully's rule. He's broken the old regime of Satan, sin and death and he's brought in a new era of life and righteousness and grace which we can all participate in. But Jesus brought an end to the old regime not by bashing Satan up. It had to be done another way. Let's take a look together. So we're in Romans chapter 5. We've had a bit of a break over Easter and over school holidays from our study in the book of Romans, but we're back into it and we're going to go through the whole book this year. Uh, and so I encourage you to have Romans with you, to be thinking about it, to be reading it, to be praying over it. So we're in chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, to be sure, I didn't know Paul was Irish, but uh, to be sure, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. The first man and woman, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. But because Adam was created first and he was given the role as leader, God deems that he is the one responsible for their disobedience. In God's economy, death is the penalty for sinning against him. And so Adam died. Now God didn't give the Ten Commandments and the rest of his laws until when? Until hundreds of years after Adam with Moses. So no one between Adam and Moses broke a direct command like Adam did because there were no direct commands to break. However, everyone between Adam and Moses still died, didn't they? But how would they die? Uh, and because they died, that meant that everyone was sinners. They were all sinners. But how were they sinners if they weren't disobeying God's commands? There can only be one explanation. They were sinners because of Adam's sin. So Adam, as the first man, was the representative of the whole of humanity. So when Adam sinned, all of humanity were in his loins, so to speak. And so when we were born, we were all born sinners like Adam. We inherited that from him. Uh, this is what theologians call original sin. We inherit the sin of Adam. He is our representative. Now you might say, but hang on, how can I be blamed for Adam's sin? I wasn't there. If it was me in the garden, I wouldn't have been stupid enough to be tricked by a talking snake. Why 
do I have to inherit Adam's sin? Well, the reality is that none of us are independent from our ancestors' decisions, are we? You take my family, the Skirving clan. Uh, we we uh, come from Viking land, Scandinavia, uh, and they decided to invade the tropical paradise of Scotland in the 13th century. But here I am in Perth. Why am I living in Perth? Because my ancestors made a decision for the Skirvings to come here. I inherited their decision. Now, if you trace my ancestry even further back, it goes all the way back to Adam, as does your ancestry. And when Adam made his choice to eat the fruit, you and I were there in his loins, as was all of humanity. He represented us. And so when we were born, we were all born sinners like Adam. That's Paul's logic. You know, uh, if a relative dies uh, and they're rich, even if we hardly know them, right? When the will comes out, we're like, hang on, I'm family. I want my inheritance. That money is mine. Yep, I hardly knew them, but I'm family. But if a relative dies and doesn't have any money, in fact, they have debts, we're like, hang on, why should I have to pay their debts just because I'm family? I hardly knew them. We only want an inheritance if it's good. But an inheritance is ours, whether it's good or bad. Adam is our forefather. We receive an inheritance for him, from him. Unfortunately, we inherit sin. Now, of course, it's not like we can blame it all on Adam. Uh, sin entered the world because of him. But we all sin voluntarily. No one coerces us. No one twists our arm. We all choose to do it. And we are responsible. But he got us into this mess. The good news is, though, although one representative got us into this mess, another representative got us out. Have a look with me in verse 17. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? See, Paul's saying that the whole story of the human race can be summed up in terms of what Adam has done and what Christ has done. Uh, let me show you with some pictures to help us. All people are born into the old realm, uh, the realm of spiritual darkness, which is the realm of Adam. Adam got us into that mess. But through the death and resurrection of Christ, we have been transferred into a new realm. It's the realm of Christ, the King. Now, we've been transferred from our old self and, and we've been transformed into a new self. We are a new creation. We're no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves to God by choice. 
We're no longer ruled by law, but we're ruled by grace. We're no longer dominated by the flesh, but we are empowered by the Spirit. And we're no longer condemned to eternal death. We are destined for eternal life. All people are born into the old realm. And that's where they stay unless they are born again and put their faith in Christ where they're tr when they're transferred into the new realm. You, get, you got into the old realm by being born. You get into the new realm by being born again. That's what Paul is saying. The whole story of the human race can be summed up in terms of what Adam has done and what Christ has done. Uh, have a look with me in verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. Adam was told he would enjoy blessing if he obeyed God, but yet he chose to disobey. Jesus knew that he would face agony and death if he obeyed God, but he walked in absolute obedience. Adam's disobedience meant that all people were condemned. Jesus' obedience means that all his people are made righteous. Now, just one act of unrighteousness would have disqualified Jesus from making us righteous. Just one act. But he was obedient from beginning to end. Jesus lived a life without sin. Not one sin. Not one lie. Not one lustful thought. Not one speeding ticket. In every temptation that Satan targeted at Jesus, Jesus was obedient. Think about that. In every demand and requirement of the law, Jesus was obedient. In the Garden of Gethsemane, faced with a cup of God's wrath, sweating drops of blood, Jesus was obedient. As the mob put him in chains and arrested him, even though he could have called down an army of angels to rescue him, Jesus was obedient. When he was skewered with a crown of thorns, and mocked and spat on, Jesus was obedient. When he was flogged, when he was beaten to an inch of his life, Jesus was obedient. When he was nailed to the cross and he hung there in agony, asphyxiating, suffocating to death, Jesus was obedient. When Jesus became a curse for us, when he was forsaken by his Father, Jesus was obedient. Jesus' righteous obedience is the basis of our acceptance before God. Our standing before God is not based on our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. Have a look with me in verse 15. 
But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? See, Paul's saying something like this. Adam is like a man who has a creek flowing through his property. And this creek, this creek runs into a river downstream which supplies the local village. Now, Adam knows he's not allowed to dump anything into this creek, but, you know, he's got these 44-gallon drums with chemicals in them and he's got to get rid of them somewhere. So, in one act of disobedience, Adam pours them into the creek, which has massive consequences. As that water pours into the river, the fish in the river die, and the fishermen no longer have any jobs in the local village. The people of the village start to get really sick, and they start to get cancers because of the poison water in their village. The water is used to irrigate the crops, and the crops are poisoned, and so the crops fail, and so the people starve. The people in the village give birth to children with birth defects. The river water evaporates and it's taken up into the clouds and then it rains on the whole country and pollutes the whole land. One act of disobedience from Adam has massive consequences. What a mess. It would take a massive job to fix it, wouldn't it? That's what Jesus has done. When the sin of Adam multiplied and multiplied and snowballed and snowballed and became more and more depraved, the grace of God, the love of God, abounded and abounded and overflowed and overflowed in Jesus. As sin increased, grace increased and increased and increased all the more. Verse 16. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Now, it's perfectly right and understandable that Adam's sin brought judgment, right? Because transgression deserves condemnation. So you would have expected that the many sins committed by the whole world since Adam would result in great condemnation. But instead, God responds to the sins of the ages with grace and love in Jesus Christ. And he gives us the very opposite of what we deserve. Because judgment is not God's ultimate purpose for our universe, is it? The ultimate purpose of history the ultimate purpose of God in creating and governing the world in the way that he has is to display his glory, the glory of his grace in Jesus Christ. And so that's how he responds to the sins of the world. Paul finishes, he says, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. 
so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. A guy went to see his pastor and he said, look, you don't know the life I've lived. You don't know what I've done. If you knew what I'd done, you wouldn't keep saying that God forgives me. I can't even forgive myself. Pastor said, okay, try me. Tell me what you've done. And the guy told him what he's done and the pastor said, well, yep, that is pretty bad. But it's not too bad for God. You think you can be too bad for God, but you can't. You're diminishing what Christ has done on the cross. Because of what Christ has done, Christ now sees you better than you see yourself. Christ's obedience, his righteousness, has been transferred to you at the cross. And so that God now looks at you with the same love and affection that he looks upon his own son. You know, Winston Churchill, uh, the great leader of the Second World War, he famously said this, Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. He was, he was talking about the Royal Air Force as they protected the whole of Britain whole of England from German invasion, from the German aircraft. It's a great line. But there's an even greater truth which we've just heard this evening. So many owe so much to one man, Jesus Christ. Everybody in the world, no matter who, where, or when, whatever tribe or language or culture or ethnicity owe everything to one man, Jesus Christ. All who came from Adam are in need of a second Adam. Jesus is the one and only remedy for the human condition. Now, if you were asked to write an autobiography of your life, uh, no one's asked me to do that. Apparently, it wouldn't sell too well. But if you were asked to write an autobiography of your life, what, what would be in it? What would be in it? If you're a Christian, your autobiography would have two volumes. Volume one, your life before you were a Christian. And volume two, your life after you're a Christian. In volume one, you were born in the old realm. You were a slave to sin. You were dominated by the flesh. You were destined for, you were condemned to eternal death. That's your volume one. But your life doesn't have one volume. It has two volumes. In volume two, Jesus' perfect obedience has defeated the bullies of Satan, sin, and death. And it's changed things for you forever. Your volume two will never end. right? Your volume two of your autobiography never ends because of Christ. You are destined for eternal life. You've been set free. 
You're no longer a slave to sin. Because of Jesus, this week, sin no longer has to rule over you. This week, addictions do not need to rule over you. Your temper does not need to rule over you because of Christ. You're no longer dominated by the flesh. You're no longer a slave to sin. You've been taken out of the old realm of Adam. You're in the new realm. And that reality, we need to, we need to know that that's our reality so we can live out that which Christ has already done. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the one man, Jesus Christ. We thank you that even though Adam, our representative, got us into this mess, the Lord Jesus Christ got us out. And thank you that we have been transferred into the new realm, the realm of life and righteousness and grace and mercy and love. And I pray, Lord, that our lives would reflect that reality, that we would live out who we already are. We would live out our new spiritual position that we have. Lord, that we would live this out this week. That we would be aware of our new, of the new changes and that we would live that out. I pray for each person here, Lord, that we would no longer be a slave to sin, but we would live as slaves to you, that we would choose to live for you this week and next week and the week after. And as we uh, come now to a time of communion, it's a time for us to reflect on this passage that we've just read. So I want to give you a few moments just to reflect. If you have the Bible in front of you, just to reflect on the passage, reflect on perhaps one thing that you've heard and we'll come in a few moments and we'll eat and drink of the cup. The Lord's Supper is for those of us who call Christ our King. If you haven't yet put your trust in Christ, tonight's a great night to do that. You say to God, God, I'm sorry for living my life disobeying you. I'm sorry for that. Thank you for sending Christ. I want to live for you from this time on. If that's a prayer you've prayed and you, and you mean it, then the Lord's Supper is for you. ask the first few rows to stand 
please come and take of the bread and the cup. Take them back to your seat and we'll take them together in a few moments. Adam got us into a big mess, but Jesus got us out of it. The body of Christ. It was Adam's disobedience that got us into the mess. It was Jesus' perfect obedience that got us out of it, even to the point of death. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.